Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Butterfly Kisses, A Journey of Spiritual Transformation. I am your host, as always, Amy Gray Cunningham. Thank you for joining me for this amazing episode today with John Goff. I think you are going to be very impressed with his story and his journey. He suffered physical, emotional, and sexual abuse from the time he was a very young boy by people who should have been there to protect him. But as he explains it, he doesn't let these experiences of abuse define him. Even with the diagnosis of Tourette syndrome, John Gaw found a way to rise above and move through the pain that he endured. Through martial arts and energy work, John came to a place of forgiveness and love, not only for himself, but for those who abused him as well. Totally amazing. Today, he works with others who have endured abuse just like he went through, and he helps them work through the trauma that is deep within the very fiber of their being. So today, if you're struggling to find forgiveness and healing, not only for yourself, but for those who have hurt you as well, join me on this inspirational conversation about hope and healing with John Goff. But before we get started talking with John, I wanted to remind you that we have another Wednesday episode coming up this Wednesday at 9 a.m. I talk with Isabel Maxwell, who is an intuitive development coach, a medium, and the author of Cracking Open, Adventures of the Reluctant Medium. And she's also a fellow podcast host of the Cracking Open podcast. So please join me this Wednesday for this enlightening conversation with Isabel. I know you will find it entertaining, enlightening, and very inspiring. And also, I am still offering the mini Akashic Record reading for a special rate of $90 through the end of August. You do not have to book the reading in August. You can schedule it at any time, but you do have to purchase it in August to receive the special rate of $90. And let me tell you, it's a very in-depth reading that I think will give you a little taste of what the Akashic Record fields can do for you. So visit my website, amygraycunningham.com forward slash soul realignment to schedule your mini Akashic Record reading with me. And don't forget, please hit the subscribe button on Apple or whatever app you use to listen to this podcast and follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. All the links are provided in the show notes, and you can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter. This way you will not miss an episode when a new one is available. So with all that being said, please join me for my conversation today with Mr. John Goff. Remember, spread your wings and fly, my friends. Now, John, welcome, first of all, to Butterfly Kisses. Thank you for having me here. I'm so glad to have you uh, on today. I know that uh, abuse is something that a lot of people, unfortunately, endure and go through. And from what I've read and from what I can understand, yours was was pretty traumatic growing up. Yeah. Um, how 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 did you endure? I mean, how tell tell us tell us a little bit about your story. My biological mother was um, an actual like prostitute. I, I, I'll try to keep all the like slings very minimal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, like so, um, she was pimped. She, you know, like um, was on, on heavy drugs, um, the heroin, you name it. I, I remember being very, very young, and um, you know, like like having to scoot through needles and not get poked with things on the ground, and 
always smoke in the air and, you know, listen to my mom have sex or sometimes be raped herself for the things she was going through. And that's where a lot of my abuse started is if uh, my mom didn't make enough money or there's other things in the house, the drug dealers or the pimps would, um, you know, like they would rape me and my siblings and they would, they would beat us and torture us, whether it was putting cigarettes, you know, out on us and other things that are very, very, um, not the easiest to say, like, um, it, it, it was pretty ex- extreme abuse. Mm-hmm. And then from uh, there, you know, even after I was taken away from my biological mother and I spent the foster care in California and I was physically and sexually abused in every foster home I went to, like literally every foster home, I was physically and sexually abused. And at one point I was put in child porn with at least four foster homes. Wow. You know, and, and that was that, that that was still only the beginning of, of the abuse and, and the trauma. You know, so like, um, and I ended up getting out of foster care and my uh, biological grandparents adopted me. So that's where the, where the sexual abuse stopped, but the spiritual and physical abuse only got started. <laughs> you know, and, and I, so, so, so that's sort of like, like the progression of, of leading up to a, pl- a place where I was able to finally get the abuse to stop. But between about six and a half, seven years old, of, of when I got adopted uh, by my grandparents, up till I was 17, the, f- the physical abuse, I, I, I might as well still have been in foster care or with my biological mom being raped and abused because like the psychological torment and then the religious and spiritual dogma that was inflicted upon me with the abuse only made it more severe and um, it exacerbated everything I'd already been through. So do you think your biological mom was abused by your biological grandparents? No, oh, I, I, I actually know she was. I, and, and that's where like these, some of these abuse cycles, um, it's not about forgiveness and letting go. Um, you know, when they, they still communicated and I didn't know that they were communicating still, even after my biological mom had fled to another state and then she had like two of my other siblings I didn't even know that I even had. And then, you know, like she was sitting out warrants till she didn't get arrested and there wasn't gonna be an extradition, you know, like people weren't gonna look for her, she, she fled. But my, my, my grandmother knew where her daughter was. And then they, they had spoken for years, even behind my grandfather's back. And um, when I finally, and actually had talked to my biological mom after years of not seeing her since I was a child, she openly told me that she's like, yeah, you know, like, like, grandpa, you know, like, you know, my dad, your grandpa, but the one that I now call dad, because I was adopted, he, he, you know, he, he beat the hell out of me for anything. So, you know, a lot of her trauma is that my, it was started really, really young. And then she was also raped by a family member. So like in my mind, there's other things that were so progressed into this transformation of pain and inflicting more pain um, is like, I, I really had to be that decision maker of, do I want this abuse to continue? Do, you want, do I want to be the same thing of my grandfather, of my mother and all that past, um, what do you call a more ancestral trauma that has progressed and progressed and progressed. I made the decision that I wanted to stop. When did you make that decision? Literally at 17 years old. And this is sort of the, um, the, the, what we call a double bind, a little conundrum. They actually had me in martial arts. I, I already had a couple of black belts by 17 years old. I was competing. I was winning things. I was really good at what I did. But my uncles, the ones that I call brother, they live that I state, they always said, if I ever use my martial arts skills to defend against dad's discipline, 
that they would come and kill me in my sleep, that I couldn't stop a bullet, that there's no way that I could take on all three of them. They made it very, very clear that I needed to be grateful that I was taken out of foster care, that, you know, that, that, that me and my brother got smacked or beat a little bit. It's because we needed to know our place. And that in, in that state of gratitude, would I rather be going through what I went through or have dad give me a disciplined hand? I mean, that's just sort of like that, that suppressed thing. And I remember at 17 years old, um, it was over, a, literally over a Dr. Pepper. I had a headache. I wasn't feeling the best. So, you know, mom slash grandma says, take this Dr. Pepper, uh, take some ibuprofen. Let's, let, let's see if it'll go away. So my dad comes home and then he's like, where the hell is my Dr. Pepper? And then I was like, oh, like, like mom gave the Dr. Pepper's not ibuprofen. And then I'm like, because I wasn't feeling the best. I've just been training a lot in, in all the stress of school. Oh, you're going to lose your whole allowance. I'm like, you're going to take $40 this week over Dr. Pepper? I'm like, yeah, I can go to the store and buy you one. Don't backtalk me, you little shit. And then I, and, and he's like, I'll knock your head off. And something right there just went, I was like, go for it. His face went white. And, and, and I'm like, kids, you know what? Like, um, I'm, I'm going to make him all a widow as soon as you come down the stairs. And then I'm like, you will never hit me again. He takes his tape measure, throws it. It misses my head. And I grab it. I dropped it down. And I was like, my turn. And he ran. And then he, he made this whole story up. Oh, John's going to attack me. And I was like, no, like, like, like both of you, he should have been in jail a long time ago. Um, everything I've endured, everything. I said, no, I'm not my little brothers. I'm not anybody else. I'm me. You're never going to lay a hand on us again. You're not going to raise your voice to me again. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, here's my opportunity for the gratitude I will, I will give you for when you did take me out of certain pain, but you continue to put me through a lot more pain. That pain stops right now. And I was out of the house. I moved to the house a couple months later. But uh, from that point on, I was never hit again. Is that my the last couple months I was in the house, he did not raise his voice to me again. You know, and then there were in the period where I didn't talk to them for almost three years. When did your recovery start? When did you start working on my, you? My actual recovery, even with my training and my background, um, it took me going through um a 10-year marriage, like a 15-year relationship where I was continuing to let a woman do the same thing to me that my father did. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was a very similar family dynamic. It was the guilting. It was the, it was the shame. It was the fear. It was, um, I'm not good enough. And the only way I'm going to be good enough if I, if I submit, you know, it might, it, you know, so I'm turning 37 next month. I mean, it wasn't until I said about, I was about 32, 33, so just a few years ago that I was really able to implement all of my training. So while they had healing moments throughout the years during that relationship, it was a reinforcement of more pain. It was, it was me not seeing that I was still in the same situation. It was just a different person, a different face. But this time it was with somebody that said they loved me, but a different type of love. It was a parental love. And that for me, if this is what love as a partner is, how exactly can I ever say I love myself if this is what I'm going through? So after the divorce, I was really able to really start going like, who am I? What do I do? 
So I would, I would uh, inquire with my teachers, with my masters and grandmasters and friends or people who have really influenced me over the years. And they all said the same thing. This has always been you. You've always been great. You've always been strong. You've always been a survivor. We've just been waiting for you to, you know, to use your skills, make that decision because you have a lot to offer. You just have to you know, realize it for yourself. And it was that point of me literally sitting down and breaking down, just crying and pounding on the floor. Why, why, why? And then I take a deep breath in and it didn't matter why. It was done. What am I going to do now, now that I've gotten away from it? So that's when I made the decision how to teach people the, you know, the red flags, how to help people through breath work, how to help people through moving to martial arts, that it's not about the fight. I was fighting for so long that as soon as I let go of the fight and I realized this, I don't have to pop, pop, pop and pound back. What happens when I take a breath and that attack, whether it's an emotional attack, an actual physical attack or spiritual, and I just go and let it just go on by. How easy it is for us to get into conflict, to think that we're fighting for something. And this is um, a very close brother and a business partner of mine. He says it very significant. And I said a little bit differently years ago, but I'm going to say it the way he says it. Anybody can die for anything. But what happens when you start to live for something? I'll die for my kids. Great. They don't have a parent anymore. What happens when you decide to live for someone, but I'll have to start with living for yourself. So as soon as I started living for myself, getting back into better shape, going back to my practices, or, you know, I, I can say uh, re-earning my ranks, but making myself feel like that the rank that I had, the young age of mastery that I had in some of these arts, what does it matter if I'm not teaching, if I'm not doing something with it, if I'm not helping other people, if I'm not an active service, then it really, it really doesn't matter. And if, if I'm even serving myself, all it is is a certificate on the wall. So I looked at all of them and I just, I remember the process. I went through what it felt like the first time I ever got hit and what my teachers lifted me up and telling me, remember, I'm not, I'm not your dad. I'm not an abuser. I'm not the one who raped you. I'm not the one who beat you. He said, you know, here's a time for you to learn how to integrate and how to take that hit and how to absorb it and how to be with it and how to give it back out and not let it destroy you. And now that you understand that part, now here's how to take more. And here's how to take more. And what's gonna place that I could take it all? You forget all about it because you don't have to take any of it. I'm like, whoa, like, why do you have to get hit so much? Because you had to learn how to separate the pains of abuse and the pains of life. They're really easy to cross over and that psychological pain, that emotional, spiritual pain, it will haunt you if you don't learn the difference. It's no different than a relationship. We get in one relationship, it wasn't the best. And even though somebody does something similar, it doesn't mean they're doing the same thing. But we've associated so much with the pains of our life that we don't even know how to transform ourselves, how to move on, move forward, how to heal from it. So that's what I was doing when I was going over my certificates. I remember that lesson, man, I missed that lesson, but what can I do with the lesson now so the lesson wasn't a waste? And, and that was just sort of the, the partiality of what got me going to be here in front of you and other people right now.
that's just an amazing testimony to be that little boy and now to be this, this man and the two different perspectives. What do you tell that little boy now? It wasn't your fault. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to, um, to blame yourself. Mm-hmm. Especially when you can't protect those that you, that you want to protect. Why do you think that you were born into this, this life? To help others who can't help themselves, to help others learn how to help themselves. And there's one thing that I can do for anybody if they'll let me, let me help you wake yourself up. Get away from the dogmas that are around you. You know, I start understanding who you are, not who you, not who you are told to be, not who you think you need to be. Who exactly are you when you look in the mirror, when you wake up, what's your process? You know, get out of the programming. It's really easy to go, hey, I'm gonna make breakfast. I'm gonna go to work. I'm gonna have a lunch. I'm gonna come home. I'm gonna have a dinner. Maybe I have free time. I'll go make love to my wife if, if it's even love anymore, if you're not bored out of your minds. I, I might go and do something else. I might throw a ball at my kid, like what I call a very cliche American ideal of what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman. There's these program things that there's a way of living a way of doing we might go to the store we might go to a movie Kayla those are all things that I'm not taking away because I still do some of those things but what happens to coming home and embracing your family and letting me know hey I need to decompress when was last time a person took it you know what I teach and they went and took a breath for themselves they went and meditated whether it's five minutes or ten minutes and they allow themselves to be calm. They leave work at the door. They're able to really see their families, see their spouse, they see themselves. They do a lot of um, introspection and they're able to do introspection. Where am I at? Where am I at physically? How have I overdone this week? And uh, we all sort of do this in, in a company that, um, that me and my friends have, our BPR. How much of my time is with business? How much of my time is personal and how much of my time is with relationships? Is it even, am I in harmony with myself? I mean, it really changes a lot for people to, to really look within. How are you doing emotionally? How's your, how's your psyche? How's your physical body actually doing? Say, I'm doing great. Well, you know, when you're early 20s, early 30s, and then you could barely walk and, you know, you look like you're 60 there's a problem. The problem is we haven't been able to de-stress ourselves and go to a place of peace and harmony. We have been able, you know, to literally whether you want to say uh, sort of with a butterfly kiss says, spreading your wings, a butterfly, flying like an eagle, running free like a wolf. What is the last time we felt that place of peace be able to flow and to be, and we didn't feel like I gotta get this done. I have to get this done so much having to do that we're in a society that doesn't know how to be anymore to be present you know to take some time for stillness to be able to feel like this is on film you guys have me crying a little bit i'm okay with that because i'm still a human i'm still this you know this body 
having a spiritual experience in this world right now to be able to really feel, to not run through the feeling, but to also not let it consume you, be able to remember it, recognize it. See, it's like when I talk about this, I can look back as I'm reading a book. It's like I read part of that chapter. I felt that chapter. But then I turn the page and I go on to the next one because that chapter is the whole entire book. It's not the whole story. I get to edit it. I get to choose how to interpret that chapter. And I get to make sure I get to write the next one. And this is what I want to give to people. Are you ready to write the next chapter of your life? Are you ready to go back and edit the other parts? How you perceive it? How you want to associate with it? How do you want to disassociate with it? Who do you want to be? But if you want to be chapter one and two, you're not living. You're literally the walking dead. So take a chance. Take a chance to really feel the live, to breathe, to go back to passion and excitement. And the what do you want to create? Or do you want to be in a place that was already created for you? Beautifully said. What about forgiveness? How does forgiveness play into all this for you? Um, I, 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 for me, I always I had a hard time even now. I, have, I do have a hard time with the word forgiveness um, because of uh, the, the, the religious connotation for me that was placed upon me with forgiveness. But I've learned to come to a place of forgiveness means something different to a lot of people. So when I say letting go, I'm still talking about forgiveness just uh, to also help people maybe transition who, like me, may have been abused by the word. Mm-hmm. Maybe, but to me, we're all talking about the same thing. When I, when I was able to just let it go, you know, or forgive, however we want to talk about it, it was, I, I, it wasn't the weight of the world, these energetic pressures on the body, these things weighing on our mind, all the chatter in the back, it was able to just literally go away. Because I made the decision of, I was not in control at the moment of what was happening to me, but I could be controlling right now. Whatever these people who have abused me, wherever they are now, whether they're alive, they're dead. You want to call them great, create, great creators, gods, beings, aliens. I don't care what people want to look at it as. Whatever their karma is going to be, whatever penance they're able to have or not have, that has nothing to do with me. Well, and what does have to do with me is how do I choose to live? Am I going to let that define me? Or am I going to be better than what was uh, you know, imposed upon me? So I, I made a choice to be better, but in order for me to be better, I had to release it. I could remember it. I could feel it. But that was also where I get to be my teacher. And that's where I've helped a lot of the people who are survivors or people trying to survive, no longer be survivors and turn into livers. Where it's like, I'm going to live. Okay, he's like, great, you're a survivor. But how well are you surviving? Do you feel yourself still looking over your back? Do you feel yourself wincing when a voice is raised? When somebody moves their hand in the air? What's subconsciously going on still? And that's where the martial arts comes into play. And that's where the breath work comes in and the energetic healing work, the Reiki and the Qigong, is there's so many layers. There's different lenses to see through. Here's one lens. Okay, I see something else. Then I see something else. And the clearer vision people start to have, and the more they can no longer internalize it, but able to feel it internally, but externally manifest it in something good, in something wholesome, that they're no longer flinching, that they're able to recognize 
okay, that is aggressive. That's not aggressive. That is grooming. That's not grooming. And then they're able to go back to place of trust because they trust that what they hear is really what they're hearing because they learn how to hear again. They trust where they're seeing because they know what to see again. And they trust what they're feeling because this intelligence is within us, this energy, this chi, this great animated spirit that we have, this great power, they learn how to trust it again. And when they learn how to trust it, they'll learn how to trust themselves because they're no longer separated from, I'm a separate from this being inside of me because they're going back to a place of oneness. I interviewed a lady who believes, and I've, I've come to believe as well, that our soul actually resides within the connective tissue within our bodies. And when we move the energy around in our bodies, we actually come in contact with that soul, with that energy. Do you think that, or do you feel that when you're doing the martial arts and you're actually moving and you're moving the energy within your body, do you feel your self or your soul actually connecting within your body? Do you feel yourself going within? I can literally, like when I do the physical and I'm moving, whether it's slow, Tai Chi, whether it's me moving, grasping and hitting, I can feel every fiber. It's just flow. I can feel where the cheese moving. But then when I feel something much deeper within me, I can literally feel, you know, me telling me, no, put your hand this way. No, shift this way. It's like, it's teaching myself upon the teach, teaching my teachers give me and things I've done. Mm-hmm. It's like, I can feel myself. It's like, no, I already know this. I just need to remember it. Mm-hmm. And then I, every place, too aggressive, too soft, soften up, more power. It's like every motion, every feeling, it's in such an alignment of something much bigger than this physical body into myself. So yes, to your answer, I feel everything, but at a much deeper level to where when, when the breath is in line with the movement, mm-hmm. everything around becomes colorful. I can see particles in the air. I can literally see when I'm pulling things together. Here's the energy, but what's the side? My actual energy, like my soul itself is working with it. And I'm like, oh my God, like this is, this is us. And that's where I want to take people and where I assist taking people who are ready to, you know, start going back to themselves again and remembering who they are. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. I believe it's funny because I remember a long time ago, I remember teenage years, just a few years ago, (laughs) sitting in a car in the middle of an intersection and wondering if people actually saw me. I felt so disconnected from within my body that I didn't feel like anybody saw me because I didn't even see myself. And people used to tell me, go within, that is where the answers are. And I never, I never thought to go within. I always looked elsewhere, you know, whether it was drugs, alcohol, food, sex, whatever. I was always looking for something outside of myself to fix what I felt what I didn't feel within because I felt so lost and so alone. And once I started going within, that's, that's when I actually found me (laughs) for lack of better words, but 
Now tell us about the Tourette syndrome. How did that, where did that come from? How, how does that play into who you are now and how does the energy work and the martial arts help the Tourette syndrome? Okay, uh, well, there's many ideals, especially uh, within uh, the neurology community. They believe that Tourette's is a genetic disorder. Um, there's still not a lot to back it. Mm -hmm. You can't see it in a brain scan. You can't see it with any type of uh, medical technology we have now. You have to be observed by a doctor, observed by a psychiatrist, have certain traits. And a lot of the traits are, um, are you autistic and high functioning or do you have Tourette's? Do you have a tick disorder? Do you sniffle? Do you, and it's only like 2% or less of people Tourette actually scream obscenities. So that's actually some of the rarest cases. But normally you have, you might have the OCD like, like I have. You might have some bipolar disorder. You might have uh, a sleep disorder. I, there's a lot of companies with Tourette's, but it's usually with facial twitches, like ticking, which I may or may not have until I don't notice them. So they may be on camera. It could be the stuttering. It could be anything that uh, puts you all, uh, under stress, whether stress I recognize or stress I don't recognize that exacerbates the Tourette's. So if I'm in a really stressed situation, if I don't go to my breathing, the, you'll see this. And it makes me look like a drug addict because uh, people don't know what Tourette's is. It's still not a lot of people educated on, man, hey, are you on something? I'm like, no, I have Tourette's. Whoa, whoa, is that a drug? I'm like, no, no, I, I, Tourette's is a disorder. I, I have, it's supposed to be neurological. There's no proof to it. There's something in my nerves. There's something within my brain, my body that causes unwanted twitching of the hands, facial features, the neck, the shoulders. You know, and, and there's nothing I can really do about it. The much I know I can do is when I'm feeling it, if it's really deep, I can go to breathing. When I do my martial arts, I don't twitch at all. So when I'm highly focused, the trust usually vanishes. When I'm doing the energy work myself or doing meditation or breath work, the trust isn't there either. So I've learned how to temper a lot of it. And I've done this for people with autism and other people with Tourette's or anybody who has social anxiety, panic attacks, or you know, depression. I, I, I've worked with a lot of heavy PTSD, uh, people with PTSD to help them calm their internal. And that's where the interoception has also really helped with the Tourette's or people with my disorders and, um, and the life within a uh, mental and uh, neurological, the introspection and then the introspection, where are we, how do you feel, and learning to loosen the tense muscles, learning to relax and ground down and become very present so that whatever happened an hour ago or five minutes ago, if it's not happening right now, it doesn't matter to mm -hmm. be able to release it because anything we carry over Things we cannot change, we have to let go. If you cannot change at that moment, let it go. If you have to wait till tomorrow, you wait till tomorrow. But whatever it is, we go back to, I'm here, oh, I'm twitchy. One motion, two motion, one motion, two motion. Whatever it may look like that I'm doing, I take the time to really focus within and breathe. And remember, I have control of my body. My disorder does not have control of my body. The outside world does not have control of my body. I have control over it. So 
remembering and always doing a place I remind myself I'm the one in control and the things I cannot control, I let go. It's amazing that it always goes back to the breath. You know, it's, it's amazing because when we're born, what starts the life is the breath. And when we cross, what ends the life is the breath. And when we need to focus, the easiest way to go into focus is by going to the breath. Yes. <laughs> and that, it just, it just struck me as you were talking, it's all about the breath. And when we need to release something by going to the breath, it really, I mean, just focusing on your breath sometimes is the easiest way to release something. Just... Yes, exactly. <laughs> so what is the one thing, if you could give our audience, you know, a couple of tips about, um, energy and going within and something that you've learned over um, your life and your experience that you can help if somebody is experiencing trauma and they want to start on this journey of releasing and letting go, what are some tips that you can give people? One step, one breath. That's easy enough. Uh, I, I, I literally is is a people like I, I don't have time to meditate and they start making excuses of this breath stuff is a bunch of crap it's not gonna work. Mm -hmm. like, we tried everything. We tried everything. We tried yoga. We tried pranayama. Oh, I'm a cool. Like I'll validate you tried it, but maybe you didn't live it. You weren't being it. You were looking for you know that that miracle pill. You were looking for that cure. You want them to take it away when, yes, they were an external source trying to teach you something internal for yourself. They're not going to be a teacher of your life. How do you feel when you're doing the breath? Well, I felt good. Okay, so after your treat was done, after your class was done, did you ever go home and implement it? Uh, and, and it's usually a no. Okay, well, it's like, well, I don't have time. Hey, check us out. And I'll do this with you right now if you want to do it. I literally would go, hey, take the breath in for me for four seconds. In, two, three, four. Hold it, two, three, four. Out, two, three, four. In, two, three, four. Hold it, two, three, four. Out, two, three, four. Hey, take a deep, deep breath in. And slowly let it out. I'm like, uh, what that was under a minute, right? And their faces usually get a little bit red. And I'm like, how do you feel? Man, I'm like, I feel really good. I said, and that was that was not a breath session. I gave you under a under a minute, less than a minute. It's a very basic breathing. And a lot of it goes back to retention, the slow breathing. We have rapid breathing, we have super ventilation breathing. We have psychedelic breathing. We have relaxation breathing. And it could, it could take a minute. It could take an hour. But no matter how much time you want to take on it, it's still a choice to sit back and breathe. You're, dri you're driving. Okay, I need to get to work. You have 20 minutes to work, depending on the commute, maybe an hour or so. During the time you're driving, I'm not going to have you do any you know, psychedelic or heavy breathing. But you can do that breathing I just gave. Breathe in, four seconds. Breathe out, four seconds. You can breathe in, 
You can take a, a little hole. You don't want to hold too long because you're driving and you can let it go. Or you can simply just go in, two, three, four, out, two, three, four. And by the time you get to work, you feel great. Your stress is down because you, you don't need a special place. And that's sort of like the myth of breathing with people. I need to have my candles. I need to have my sage. I need to have my Palo Santo. I need to get ready as if I'm going to go do an ayahuasca journey, which I've done plenty of those and I'm all for it. But like, 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 there's not like this thing, this theme, you have to be all mystical and esoteric about it. And I'm an esoteric guy. And it's something as simple as walk outside, take a deep breath, whether you have a tea or coffee in your hand and meditate with your damn coffee. Because you're being present with the sip. You're simply enjoying and being with whatever you have in your hand or not in your hand. And then go back inside and start your day. It, it doesn't have to be anything extreme. And if people really want to complicate it, that's why I went back to one step, one breath. Take a breath in. Step four, take a breath out. Take a breath in and learn what it feels like to synchronize your breathing with your body. And that's why the Qigong, the martial arts, and the other modalities that I do, why I find it so useful and helpful to clients and people that I work with, whether it's uh, remotely or in person, what happens when you go back to synchronizing your breathing with your movement, and are, are you out here, but you're tense? Because you're holding so much in your body, what would happen if you just loosen your shoulders, took a nice breath in the belly and felt everything to sink down. Man, my shoulders are the tense. And you start realizing where you're holding the tension. And a lot of this tension, it is traumatic tension. It is emotional or energetic trauma held by ourselves or things that we experienced in the past that we've held in the body. I have a lot of people that I do breath work with and whether it's simple breath work or a little more complicated breath work and more of a, a breath ceremony, no drugs involved, no psychedelics, having meltdowns and healing and releasing from breathing because <laughs> the tension, the tension's like, keep on breathing, keep on breathing. And then watching the tension just leave. That, test che te that chest tension, because you were, you were abused there. That, that, that tension, you were choked. That vaginal or penile tension because you were molested or abused whatever's happening in the body we have the power to heal from it we can release from it and i've seen people and even with myself literally do one really good breath session and tell me or me tell the people that it was like 10 years of therapy mm -hmm. because the breath is powerful everybody mm -hmm. calls breath something chinese mm -hmm. call it chi Japanese, you know, Koreans call it key. Um, in like in uh, Canton, it's hey, you, you know, like prana, ruach, mana. There's this name for the energy, but the second, usually the first and second translation of all these words is breath. It's amazing because a lot of people, especially when they're very, very tense, and you can tell they don't breathe into the belly, it's all in the chest and the shoulders. And I don't, I know for me, especially if I'm really stressed and I'm trying to meet a deadline or something, I'll notice that I actually forget to breathe. <laughs> and it's quite common 
Because, yeah. you know, our, our automated system will have us doing certain things. So we'll have the minimal breath to survive and to move the physical body. But mm-hmm. we are consciously starting to go, whoa. I sit down, but then we, we're conscious of it. We'll go, whoa, that, that feels, I have been breathing all day. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. And it's like, wow, how do, I mean, how do we not do that? We, I mean, it just is, it's crazy, but yeah. So breathing is, I mean, it's half the battle. So how can people find you? Where can they work with you online or? They can work with me online. Um, my Facebook page is, um, it's just called the experience. And then my Instagram, the John Goth experience. And then I could also send you anything over if you need to. Cause sometimes I tell all like the little lines of Instagram but beyond conventional healing is also my other Instagram. And if people just want to get hold of me on Facebook alone and be like, Hey, I heard you on this podcast. They could just privately message me too. Now, do you teach martial arts and, and all of that online? Can you do that online or do you have to? I can I, I do it online. More for the simplicity, I teach the, the martial arts side of it for the healing side of it. So if people want to go more of the self-defense side, they wouldn't even want to want a person. But learning the movements of understanding that this is that block that used to hit you in the face, even though you're not feeling a partner, you know, you blocking it and empowering it that way, we're reprogramming the mind to allow you to know that this is how you stop another one from ever happening. And we go through the, you know, the visualization um, and the trauma response to start being able to use this as a healing motion and not an attack motion. So you're no longer a place of fight or flight. You're just present enough to go block, block, block. And you're feeling good about yourself because you're not thinking about the pain. You're in a place of just being. So that's what I, how I do the martial arts part of it. Do you work with like kids that are in um, high school or, you know, at-risk children? In, in I, I, I did for quite a while. Um, I, when, I do, when I do a lot of seminars and have a martial arts school, but when, when I stepped away from uh, a lot of what I was doing, it wasn't giving me uh, the, the finances that I needed. So when I, when I went you know, back to the healing modalities, teaching the breath work, and now having uh, the company that I have my friend, Dr. Fox, we shifted everything I do and everything I did. So I was able to present it in a way that gives me finances, that also allows people to have the help that they need. Because a lot of people, they say, this is what they want. And I had to get away from giving people what they wanted. And now I, I only offer what people need. Awesome. Well, let me ask you um, a question that I ask all of my guests, because this is a fun question for me to ask. And I enjoy hearing the answers. But if you had an opportunity to sit on a park bench somewhere, maybe in the mountains. Yes, I'm seeing in the mountains along the river coming down with nice flowing river and trees everywhere, flowers, with someone, whether that person be in the physical or in the spirit form. And you got to talk with them for an hour and just pick their brain. Who would that be? And what would you talk about? It'd be my, um, my, my most influential teacher who passed away last year. Uh, like It'll be close to a year next month. Uh, guru Felix Valencia. He's the one who made me uh, a guru and um Leslie Lamego was screamed under him in the Filipino martial arts. He died way too young. He didn't manage his health the best. So um, 
I, I did, I, we had a time where uh, we had we, we had a big disconnect. He vanished. I didn't see him for a few years. I never thought I'd see him again. And then when I finally got him back in my life again, it was like as quickly as he came is as quickly as he passed. Mm. I want to know, you know, his his story and all the details. What drove him to keep on going when he when he knew he was going to die? You know, what would he have given dip, done differently with his finances? What would he have given up so that he was able to actually gain something out of it? I'd want to know, you know, um, I think more than anything that wherever he is, whatever form he's in, whether dimension, heaven, whatever, you know, we want to believe that he's at peace and that, you know, and that, that, that he's happy. And if anything, I want to know that, I made a, I, that he was proud of me for doing what I did and what I'm doing and that making sure that I'm honoring his legacy while creating my own by, by being, you know, being what he wanted me to be and showing him that, that I did a lot more than what he was expecting. Oh, I'm sure he's, he's, he's helping you in whatever mission you're working on. Well, thank you, John, for being on Butterfly Kisses today and sharing your story and for all the wonderful work that you're doing. I know that it's it's very needed and just thank you. You're, you're definitely a gentle spirit. So thank well, you. Thank you for having me on. And th- thank you so much, too. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Butterfly Kisses, a journey of spiritual transformation. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe by hitting the subscribe button. This way you won't miss it when a new episode is released. Also, if you're interested in learning more about Akashic Record readings, you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation with me by visiting my website at amygraycunningham.com. Again, thank you. And remember, always spread your gorgeous wings, my friend, and fly. Until next time, see ya.